By downloading or listening to this podcast, you are agreeing to Moody's legal terms and conditions found at moody's.com slash disclaimer, including that the information provided is not investment or financial advice, and that Moody's will not be liable for losses arising from your use of the information. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Behind the Bonds, Connecting the Dots on Corporate Credit. This is Jeff Cruzan in New York. You're already well aware that March 2023 has proven to be an unusually tumultuous time for the U.S. banking system and arguably for banking in general, with three high-profile U.S. bank closures as of the middle of the month. And Moody's Investors Service is on top of it with insightful analysis and commentary covering the bank's and all the businesses and customers connected in some way to the global banking system. So I just encourage everyone listening to check out Moody's podcasts where we discuss the rapid changes in the banking sector. You can find the latest editions of Focus on Finance and Emerging Markets Decoded at moody's.com podcasts. And of course, moody's.com is also where you'll find numerous brand new research reports discussing the credit consequences of the failure of Silicon Valley Bank including Moody's recent change to its U.S. banking system outlook, which is now negative. Okay, let's turn now to a different subject, commercial real estate. And let's start off, if we could, with a question for you. What would you say might be two of the biggest concerns that homeowners have in common with the big commercial real estate companies? Well, since those companies might not be quite as nervous about a leak in the ceiling as a homeowner might be, you probably said the words interest rates and property value which indeed rank among the top concerns for real estate operating companies and real estate investment trusts. So what's in store for the rest of the year for Europe's underperforming property sector? My London-based colleague Tanya Hall is going to speak with Oliver Schmidt, a Moody's analyst based in Frankfurt, to learn more about how things will look for Europe's hard-hit real estate sector. Then we'll check in with my colleague Ross Lim, based in Singapore, to get a sense of the state of the market in Asia. She'll speak with analysts Stephanie Lau, who is in Hong Kong, and Yizhong Tay in Singapore about how business conditions are generally better in that region. Some companies are finally gaining ground after a rough period. But even with the end of China's COVID lockdowns, Asia isn't immune to high interest rates either. Let's turn first to Europe. Welcome, Tanya. Thanks, Jeff, and hello, listeners. Now, investors generally think of real estate as a defensive sector. These are industries which typically hold up pretty well in a downturn. But in the past year or so, we've taken negative rating actions, including rating downgrades or outlook changes, on about 40% of the European real estate companies we rate. Joining me today to explain how real estate's foundations are holding up or not is Oliver Schmidt. Oliver is a Frankfurt-based analyst who covers real estate here in Europe. Oliver, thanks for being here today. I know how busy you are. Thanks for having me, Tanya. So let's start with the big question. What do you think is going to happen to the credit quality of European real estate companies in the next 12 to 18 months? Well, Tanya, the real estate sector has underperformed the wider corporate sector in the past year or so, and companies' credit quality will continue to weaken. Mm, That's quite a negative view, Oliver. What's driving your view on that? Well, in large part, it's interest rates. The European Central Bank and the Bank of England have been raising interest rates for a while. Uh, They tried to cool inflation. The ECB and the Bank of England may raise rates further and afterwards interest rates may not come down for a while. So over time, high interest rates will weaken companies' fixed charge cover and put pressure on property values. Okay, so when you say 
fixed charge cover? That's a ratio. What exactly is it? Well, broadly speaking, it's a measure of whether companies have enough operating income to support their fixed charges like interest expense. So if interest rates are rising, those interest expense will also increase. And unless income increases, the fixed charge cover will decline. But the effect on interest expense depends on how long companies have fixed their interest rates on their debt in the same way that you may have fixed the interest on your mortgage. So that's the part of interest payments. But as I said earlier, higher rates will also erode property values that have started to fall already. But just how much values will decline depends on property type, property quality and overall investor appetite for real estate. Oliver, is this just a problem in Europe? Well, my colleagues will be talking about the situation in China later in the podcast, but it's fair to say that the change in interest rates is having a bigger impact on the credit quality in Europe than it has in the US. We rate about 50 companies in Europe, and some of these companies have a higher share of their total debt maturing in the next two years, or have a higher share of this debt on variable interest rates, and for those, uh, the impact is more immediate. Stepping back, a few companies will find it more difficult to refinance that maturing debt, and for the vast majority of companies, the debt will simply be more expensive. Mm, Okay. Well, in the 2008-2009 financial crisis, a number of real estate companies defaulted on their debt. Do you think the same thing is likely to happen now? Not to the same degree. By and large, the companies we rate went into this downturn with much less leverage than the companies that defaulted in 08 or 09. Also, bank lending is still available to companies if they need to refinance debt, even though it costs more. Okay, and companies are still reporting good operating performance, right? Yeah, that's right. We haven't seen vacancy rates increasing across the board, and uh, companies are really still reporting like-for-like rental income growth. They have been able to increase rents also by inflation, obviously, which is a part of the rental contract very often. But we are not sure landlords will be able to increase rents broadly in the future because European economies remain weak and we think tenants will push back on rent increases as their own businesses suffer. Is there a particular segment that you think will feel this more? Weaker quality offices and retail properties are probably most at risk. On the office side, we have yet to really see how things like the shift to hybrid working will affect office demand in the longer term, even though we know it's going to reduce it a bit. But when leases come up for renewal, tenants will be reassessing their space needs. And uh, if tenants' own earnings are under pressure, they are more likely to look for smaller or cheaper premises or give them up altogether. This is particularly true for weaker quality retail properties. Mm, Okay. Well, what about logistics? That's been performing well relatively, but do you expect that to continue? Well, we think credit quality will weaken in the logistics sector too, but drivers are a bit different. Okay, what are those differences then? The logistics issues we rate tend to have lower leverage than in other sectors. So, And the structural change we're seeing as people increasingly shop online increases demand for logistics assets. For example, if you order anything online, it will typically be delivered to you from a warehouse and not a high street store. Also, supply chains are even more important today for businesses, and this also leads to increased investments in that area. In some markets, the lack of available land to build logistics uh, will keep supply low, while the structural demand I was talking about is, is remains high. So that's a good thing. 
Nevertheless, the property values have fallen there as well because of interest rates and will probably fall further from their peak, which was probably in the first half of 22 or so. And that's true for logistics as much as any other asset class. And this is obviously negative for credit quality. Okay, so in general, what are real estate companies doing to protect their credit quality? Yeah, most companies are actually taking some part action to protect their balance sheet. They're reducing cost and capital spending. A number of companies have already announced dividend cuts or reductions. Companies are trying to sell properties to reduce debt, but at the moment there aren't a lot of buyers out there, so properties are harder to sell. They're also trying to sell properties to reduce debt, but at the moment there aren't a lot of buyers out there, so properties are harder to sell. And real estate companies may have to accept lower prices if they really want to sell. So unless they can sell parts of their portfolio to reduce debt, some companies will need to raise equity to stabilize their credit quality. Does the quality of the properties make a difference there then, Oliver? Yes, actually a lot. Uh, if a company wants to sell, high quality properties are generally more in demand. And it's also in easier if they want to use these better quality assets to raise secure debt using the assets as collateral. One thing is interesting though, in times of uncertainty, Investors have historically preferred lower risk, lower yielding prime assets with predictable cash flows like high quality offices, for example. But when interest rates go up, the value of these low yielding properties declines more than those with higher risk, high yielding assets, just from a mathematical perspective, unless other factors are offsetting. And as a consequence, the property value implications for higher versus lower yielding assets isn't that clear actually at the moment. Okay, just to step back a bit, can you explain to our listeners what you mean when you talk about yields? A very basic explanation is that the yield on a property compares the rent you get from your tenants to the value of the property. So if you receive a rent of 3 euros and your property has a value of 100, you have a simplified yield of 3%. And for higher yielding, more risky properties, you will typically have a lower value for the same rent, maybe, for example, 60 resulting in a yield of 5% in our example. Okay, so how do you factor property value declines into a company's credit quality then? In most cases, we have taken negative rating actions in the past, I don't know, nine months or so. We've assumed valuations will decline between probably 5 to 15% in most cases. Uh, between the first half of last year, which was maybe the peak, and the end of this year but it's always a case-by-case -case discussion and we will adjust these assumptions over time. So when it comes to credit quality, then which companies do you think are most at risk? A number of factors can make a companies more vulnerable at the moment. First, those companies whose credit quality was weaker before the war in the Ukraine and before interest rates started to rise. And then companies with shorter debt maturities are also at risk. And same is true for companies where the yield on the property is significantly below the cost of funding them, and there's no real chance they can increase rents. And finally, some companies which want to sell assets to reduce their debt will continue to find that much harder to do. Hmm. Okay, thanks, Oliver. It's a sector I'm sure we'll be watching with interest uh, for a few months to come. And now let's turn our focus east to Rosalind Lim in Singapore for a discussion of what to watch in real estate in that region. Ros, over to you. Thanks, Tanya. Let's now turn to Asia-Pacific, where the story for real estate is decidedly more positive in comparison. 
I have with me two analysts from the corporate finance group, Stephanie Lau, who's based in Hong Kong, and Yusheng Tae from our Singapore office to give us the latest from this region. Welcome both to the podcast. Yusheng, if we could start with you, what is the outlook for commercial real estate in APEC? Thank you, Ross. I want to start by taking a step back first and highlight that Asia-Pacific, excluding China, is the only region globally where we have a stable outlook for companies in 2023. And of course, with China reopening, that will have positive spillover effects for the region. So for the rated commercial real estate portfolio in APEC, we still expect positive rental income growth in most markets, but obviously this is at low single-digit levels. And there are three reasons for this. First, some companies have lease structures with annual escalation clauses. Second, supply remains tight in certain markets. And finally, flight to quality is a key trend in the region. So the only weak spot we have identified is the office segment in Hong Kong, where rental income will decline by around 3 to 5% in 2023. Uh, but Stephanie can share more on this as she is the resident expert. Okay, it's good to know that business conditions are relatively better uh, here than elsewhere, but can things get even better? Stephanie, how is China's reopening affecting real estate companies in Hong Kong? Well, thanks, Ross, and thanks for the question. It's not exactly rainbows and butterflies, but it does feel like it, especially when Hong Kong has finally opened its borders after three years. So streets are filled with tourists again. Lines have reformed outside of malls and restaurants. This bodes well for real estate companies, especially shopping mall owners and residential property developers. We're expecting retail sales to grow in 2023, which is going to increase rated property companies' aggregate retail rental income by 5 to 10% in 2023. Positive effect will trickle down to Hong Kong residential too because cross-border mobility will spur investment activities and sentiment. Residential prices have already come up, with the higher-end market seeing an even sharper rebound. And what about Hong Kong offices, as Yusheng mentioned earlier? Yeah, unfortunately, the Hong Kong office segment is not doing as great. Expansion appetite for most corporates, including Chinese companies, will take time to recover. Also, new office supply will start increasing in 2023, and that's largely in central, putting upward pressure on vacancy rates and landlords' ability to raise rents. So far, companies that reported earnings in the last month or so said rentals are and will be renewed at lower rates. So guidance provided doesn't point to a very positive outlook. What about the commercial, retail and office sectors in mainland China? So over in mainland China, rental income from retail mall operators will improve moderately in 2023 versus a lower base last year because of the lockdown measures and extension of rent reliefs. The relaxation of COVID control measures will drive recovery in consumer discretionary spending. This will support retail sales and in turn occupancy of retail malls. But one thing to take note of is currency movements. If the RMB weakens against the U.S. dollars, it will suppress the actual reported retail income of companies. And that's especially for Hong Kong and non-local operators reporting in Hong Kong dollars or U.S. dollars. As for China offices, with the relaxation of COVID control measures, this should clear some market uncertainty. 
So we expect vacancy rates will come off the levels from last year. But because vacancy rates are still high, office rents are unlikely to increase much. So I think a key takeaway here is that Hong Kong has emerged as the clear winner in the context of China's reopening. Shifting gears a bit, let's touch on a topic that's top of mind for many listeners. A significant increase in interest rates can potentially hit asset values. We hear that this is a concern in Europe. Yusheng, is this happening in APEC and what is your take on the situation? We are watching asset values very closely, Ross. But based on the latest valuation report so far, asset values in Asia-Pacific have remained largely stable. In Hong Kong, things have bottomed out with the easing of pandemic measures and the recovery in consumer and business sentiment will benefit asset values. Over here in Singapore, rated issuers have reported slight increases in property values and we expect things to remain stable given their good asset quality and tight supply in the market. In Australia, retail and industrial asset values have held steady, mostly on rental growth expectations. But we do see some weakness in the office segment as issuers reported a decline in office asset values of up to 5%. Overall, rated issuers in Asia-Pacific have sufficient buffers to withstand a significant weakening in portfolio value. Especially for issuers in Hong Kong and Australia, they have the largest headroom because of their very low debt-to-asset levels. So rising interest rates have so far not weakened asset values. But what if interest rates stay higher for longer? How well can companies keep up with their interest payments? Thanks, Ross. That's something that we get asked a lot. The rated commercial real estate companies have entered the high interest rate environment with EBITDA to interest cover of more than five times. And Japanese companies actually have double of that. Therefore, we believe that the portfolio is in a fairly decent position to weather rising interest rates. Many of the real estate companies have also pursued inorganic growth over the last 12 months, and earnings from their newly acquired assets will help to offset the impact of higher interest expenses. The rated companies have also locked in more than 80% of their debt on a fixed rate basis, so this gives them some protection against rising rates. If interest rates stay high, we may start to see interest coverage weaken materially after 2023 as hedges start to fall away and maturing debt is eventually refinanced at higher costs. Wow, it's good to be in APEC where the commercial real estate space is faring better than the rest of the world. Thank you, Stephanie and Yusheng for an insightful discussion. Back to you, Jeff. Roz, Tanya, thank you for helping give us such a thorough perspective about what's happening in the real estate markets of Europe and Asia. And I want to reiterate their thanks to all of our guests on today's episode. To our listeners, we hope you've enjoyed these discussions. Thanks for joining us. We hope you'll be back next time. You can subscribe to Behind the Bonds on your favorite platforms. And if you've missed an episode, you can listen to previous editions of Behind the Bonds on moodys.com slash podcasts. That page will give you links to the print research that these discussions have covered. And it's a place where you can find all of Moody's other podcasts as well. Come back next month for another discussion with Moody's experts about some of the biggest credit questions facing the corporate sector. I'm Jeff Cruzan. From all of us here at Behind the Bonds, until next time, and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to this Moody's Talks podcast. To find out more about the topics discussed, 
please follow the links in the show notes. You can check out other Moody's Talks podcasts by visiting moody's.com slash podcasts.